You know, um, when you talk about God's love, loving us, it isn't just a wonder that he loves us, but it means that that love comes with action, comes with provision, comes with his acknowledgement of our needs and his resources to provide solutions. Been aware this morning of suffering that many of our family and loved ones and friends are experiencing. And uh, it is hard to think of those acts of suffering, those provisions of suffering as being provisions of love, but they are. I was reading a prayer from one of the Puritans. Some time ago, I do, I have a book of these prayers that I go through every morning in my quiet time, one page at a time. And he said something to the effect, and I, this is not a quote, but it's similar to a quote, is that the same hand that provides our daily bread also provides our suffering. It comes from a hand that God loves. And the suffering does produce in us. When God blesses us with good things, he whispers, but when he sends suffering, he shouts, and we we can hear much more clearly. So um, we're looking at the book of Colossians. If you want to take your Bibles and turn over to the little New Testament book of Colossians, I'm going to read the first part of chapter three. Our topic in this section is putting on the new man. But this morning we're going to look at the subject of being crucified with Christ. Therefore, this is the Paul's chapter three, Paul's writing in chapter three. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking those things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you've died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is manifested, then you also will be manifested with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, and in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also lay them all aside. Oh. Wrath, anger, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with its evil practices and have put on the new man who is being renewed to a full knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man, but Christ is all and in all. So, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, 
and graciously forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord graciously forgave you, so also should you. Above all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with gratefulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Before we, before I start talking, let's ask God's blessing at this time. Lord, this is the sacred time that you call us together to fellowship around you, around your word. We are here with hearts that are in under tension because of some difficulties that are going on either in our lives or those that we love. But there are also difficulties going on in the country around us. The wars that are experiencing right now, is what we see on the news and the streets of our cities, there's a lot of heartache, a lot of confusion, a lot of misinformation, a lot of hatred. We're not trying to diagnose these times from some prophetic picture, but we do know that, biblically speaking, times are going to get tough. And the difficulties are going to arise, and we can see that happening. But I pray that you'll help us this morning to come under the shelter of your spirit and your word. That we will reside in your presence. We will turn the eyes that have been enlightened through the lens of tears to you and to see your good hand blessing us in ways that we did not expect. I pray that the Lord Jesus would be exalted in our midst this morning, that he would speak to our hearts in spite of the limitations of the speaker, in spite of the distractions that are going on around us, in spite of the thought, perhaps, of those that would not, that do not believe, in spite of many things that that seem to, to belie our profession in, in Christ, in spite of these things, you would speak, and you would comfort, and you would work, and you would glorify your name. You would honor your name. And that the, the, the result this morning would be not necessarily that the problem would go away, but that the Lord Jesus would be exalted and magnified. And so we thank you for this time. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and lives. Thank you. As we said this morning in Sunday school, that in the midst of suffering, we can thank you because we know what's going on. We know who's on the throne. We know the purpose that you have in, in store for us and that you are bigger than the problems and greater than our distractions and that you will work to exalt the Savior in us and through us. And that's what we want. That's what we want. We ask that you would be exalted in us and through us. And so we pray this 
Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Well, I want to start this morning just to comment. The thing that I've been going through with this text has been the process of being crucified with Christ or dying with Christ. Um, I don't die easily. And especially to my own passions and the things that I want, there are things that I want and there are things that, that grip my heart and I, I pursue after them sometimes. And uh, and I'm not talking about Alabama football either. I know that, we, that kind of becomes a, people that it blows like to, to tease a lot about that. I don't know why, but they do just because I wear an Alabama shirt almost every day of the year there. But anyway. Um, but there are there are distractions in my life. There are things that um, easily turn my attention away and get my my passions hunting for things. And that's true with all of us. I'm sure that there are things that we all want. There are things that we have on in our lives that mean a lot. But the process of living in this world as a believer for the Savior means that we are going through the process of dying to our passions. We're told not to love the world. We are called strangers and pilgrims and aliens. We seek a city, but it's a heavenly city. It's the city, as Abraham did, whose builder and maker is God. We're citizens of heaven, um, for which we look for a savior. We are Termed as those who are in the world, but not of the world. The next day he saw he, he's we are called to confront the world, as Paul says in, in chapter 12, but not to be conformed by the world. And that's easy. It's easy to do. Uh, we are called to be people of God and followers of the Lamb. And if we want to follow the disciples and follow the Lord, we we have to do something that's very difficult. We have to deny self. I've had to do that. Deny self. And as the scripture says in Matthew, take up the cross and follow the Savior. Taking up the cross, that doesn't mean just putting a cross. I used to have a cross, an emblem on shirt. I don't know why I did, but I did. And uh but it doesn't mean that. It's not talking about walking around with a little cross on your lapel. In the New Testament, when you saw somebody going through the city with that cross on their back, carrying it, they had already been sentenced to die. And they were merely going to the place of execution. And that's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about you taking up your cross. You're taking up the symbol, the instrument upon which you are denied to yourself and follow me. Anybody here find that to be easy? No, it's not easy. Why would we do that? Why would somebody want to do that? Why pass up the good life and all the pleasures that we can enjoy and the places that we can go and the things that we can indulge in and turn to that and do something that just seems to be boring, reading your Bible, praying, seeking the Lord and all this kind of stuff. It's because God has been working in your heart, in my heart, to help us see the real value of that. Because this world will aim us to the grave. It will uh, clog our vision and our hearts. It will keep us from seeing the Lord and his glory and his goodness. 
And uh, he is God, not we. <laughs> Satan is a, is a deceiver. And so we want to, to focus our attention on him. That's the first thing uh, that we are told to do here. And this is what I'm trying to do. Is I'm just trying to ask the question uh, in this passage of putting on the new man, putting off the old man. How do we do that? How do we do that? I was listening um, to R.C. Sproul the other day. And he gave an illustration that I thought was good. And I, I even heard my wife give almost the same illustration. That is, the preacher talked about the condition in his, the case that R.C. was using was the world hunger and stuff like that. And the preacher was talking about it. And finally he said, now you people have to do something. It's your responsibility, you got to do something. And Sproul said, I felt guilty on the one hand, but yet, uh, how do you do it? What do you do? You got to know what to do. How can you do it? Give me some ideas or whatever. And this that's kind of what we're looking at here is this whole idea of putting on the new man. That's what he says in verse one. Therefore, uh, since you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking those things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Uh, this this uh, picture here speaks of something that we would be doing. Keep seeking. It's a continuous. And you mentioned imperative. That's an imperative. That's a present imperative. It means it's a continual present command. We are told, if you're a believer, we are told to be keep seeking those things that are above. Uh, the, the, the focus of the text is sitting at the right hand of God. That is around the throne of the universe. Which brings up a question that may be a rabbit trail, but I will ask the question. Since God is God, why does he have to have a throne? Why is there a throne? Or is this just hyperbole in the in the Bible that talks about a throne? Is it really a throne? I'm confident there is. I'm confident it's there because God created it. We can ask the question why. I think he created it as part of this present space-time continuum, this stage upon which he created humanity and the galaxies and the universe and everything and this world and the struggle between night and darkness, <clears throat> good and evil, and the people that he's redeeming to himself. Why does he have a throne? I think it's a focal point where everybody can focus for worship and where there is the ultimate authority. Jesus said in the last chapter of Matthew, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. All authority. Therefore, I'm telling you to go and make disciples of all nations and baptizing them in my name, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you, and I'm with you to the very end of the age. That comes from one who has all authority given to us. If that authority means anything, it means that we are to obey. It's not an option. It's not something that's casual. It is a serious, serious command. I am guilty. I am guilty of taking it too lightly. Maybe you are too. But I want to repent. And I want to ask the Lord to help me do what's right and what's best before him. To glorify his name, to exalt his name, and to submit to his authority. And in this case here, part of that is to be seeking those things that are above. The place where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, the place of ultimate authority. 
And so that's what we're looking at. This is this is the access point, if you will, for our prayer. What was it that, that Jesus prayed when, <coughs> when we talk about the Lord's Prayer? He said, Our Father, but you are in heaven, right? The right hand of the Father. And we pray to the one who is in heaven, our Father in heaven. But he goes on to say later on that my Father in heaven knows that you have need of these things. <clears throat> it's the place of authority. It's the place that we pray. It's the place where there is intercession by the Lord on our behalf. And it's intercession by the Lord on our behalf based upon his sacrifice and his shed blood and his work on us. He is there. Is the provider and the intercessor, and uh, we are we are very very blessed. He is at the right hand. That's that place of an intercession. That's that place of you know, where he comes uh, to our rescue. Um, when Jesus stood before the Sanhedrin with the elders, and they were trying him, an unjust trial in every way, um, and yet they were trying to accuse him of being guilty. And uh, he stood before the elders of the people, and they were assembled, chief priests and scribes. And uh, they asked him the question, if you are the Christ, if you are the Messiah, tell us. By the way, do you ever notice how he doesn't always answer, he doesn't speak a lot? you got to remember that uh, he, being God, his words carry a lot of authority, a lot of weight. And uh, if he... He, he has to use his words so that they don't bring about an early destruction or early condemnation. And so he doesn't speak a lot, but he, what he did say was, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask the question, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So the table's going to be turned that day when they stand before him. That's going to be a very difficult thing. And so the question is, in this passage, we're seeking heaven. We're seeking the Lord at the right hand of the Father. What are we seeking? We're focusing on the realities of heaven. We're focusing on the, the power and the authority of heaven. We're focusing on the reality. There's a real, real battle going on. And it's a battle for my soul and for your soul. It's a battle for my affection and my worship. Uh, that's where the battle lines are drawn so often is over the area of who, you, who you're going to worship. And so we, we are, we're asking God to give us, when we focus on heaven, we're praying and asking the Lord for, your, for his wisdom. And uh, we are spend time in the word, going before the throne of the universe. I do that. I try to do that every morning. We mentioned this morning, I thought that was a very important thing that we didn't cover on too much, but we're talking about our quiet time. And uh, Rick mentioned he does that a lot. And I appreciate that input from him for the, he's really got a real heart for that. But he mentioned the quiet time. And uh, the thing that we both agree is it becomes a habit. If you do it, it becomes a very real part of your day. Habit making is not always bad. You can make bad habits and we do that very easily. And they, they grab us and they pull us down. And I would caution you <laughs> For that reason, just to be careful about what you are putting into your life, because these things that may seem innocent can become bad habits and they can drag you, drag you down. But reading your Bible and having a quiet time is something that is good. 
and you put it into your daily schedule and it can become a habit pretty quickly and it's a good habit and it's important habit because it affects your day and so here's this this picture there we're talking about the first thing is the focus and that is focusing on the heaven on the lord on the things that god had for us and then secondly quickly also uh we are meditating on not just seeking those things but setting your mind uh, that is to think to have an inner disposition also on the things above uh, that too is imperative a present imperative it's a command that god has given to us the lord has given to us to say that our minds on things above and we're going to look in just a moment that that is in contrast to the things that are on earth things above not other things on the earth where is it that we set our patience most of the time on the things on earth uh, with me most of the time i'm, I'm just I'm the worst uh, i i know what it's like to, to love the things of the world the things of this life and for them to get hold of my heart and pull me down and so uh this he said set your affection on things above not on things on the earth um if you got your Bible, you turn to Philippians. I want to read a verse to you. Paul in Philippians chapter 3. But um, in this passage, uh, Paul is warning of uh, the Philippians in chapter 3, verse 18. There are those that claim to be spiritual, but they're pretenders. And he said, For many walk according to whom told you and I now tell you even crying that is that these many professors that claim to be following Christ they're really enemies of the cross Christ their end or their destiny is destruction and their passion what they serve as God is their stomach their appetite they live for self-indulgence for sinful gratification and the place of glory is their shame. They what and, and just think about that, what you boast in, and that's what they boasted in, reveals your character. That's that's um you know, and right now, goodness gracious, that's a big thing with college football. A lot of teams boasting about what they this is a difficult time because a lot of teams are struggling to, to win a national championship. And people are boasting of this player and boasting of this and stuff. If you watch it, as I don't do a lot, but I, when I'm eating at home, I might watch part of it. There can be a lot of boasting and stuff. What you boast in reveals your character, reveals what, what's in your heart, what comes out of your mouth. Um, I, I use Rick a lot because he and I are on the same page insofar as we, we both like a lot of uh, muscle cars and things of that nature. and. Uh, we can we talk about those things, and I can sit and listen to Rick talking, talking, talking about it, and all that stuff coming out of his mouth shows me something. It shows me what's in his heart, and that's true with me as well. It shows what's in our heart, and uh, you want to guard this, the affections of your heart. You want to be careful. So here's this: he's saying that they set their uh, the glory and their shame, and they set their thoughts on earthly things. That's what I want you to see. They're earthly things 
draw our attention. That's in Philippians chapter 3, and that's around verse 19. They set their thoughts on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. Citizenship there just means that's the place uh, that we are governed by. We are governed by the laws of heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven, for which we eagerly wait for a Savior. Now, let me just say one thing there. If our citizenship is still on earth, we're not going to be eagerly waiting for a Savior. We have to really have our hearts focused on heaven and, and the realities of heaven before we will eagerly look for and wait for our Savior who's coming from heaven. And so he says that our affection is in our citizenship is in heaven, but you eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, <clears throat> who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by his working through, which is able to subject all things to himself. So what we're talking about is we are being submissive to Christ in heaven, subjecting ourselves to heaven. We're not following earthly passions. We're dying to the earthly passions and we are submitting to the glories and the power and authority of heaven. And the best place and the best way I know today to do that is to spend time in God's word. Let the word of God cleanse your heart. Transform your heart, transform your life. Let uh, and we, one of the places that I really appreciate. Don't do it now, but later on you can turn to it. Is Psalm eighty-eight talks about how difficult and hard the struggle is down here. It's a continuous struggle, but in other passages in Psalm, like Psalm one nineteen, where it talks about the Word, we find over and over again that how the Word cleanses us, gives us new hope and joy and purpose. And that we are cleansed and we are renewed. And so we want to set our meditation on things above. That's the purpose. Uh, think on these things. Philippians talks about think on these things. Whatever is true, whatever is dignified, whatever is right, whatever is pure. One thing about that verse that I want to mention to you, dealing with these things, when he says whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is right, whatever is commendable, whatever is excellent, think on these things. He uses the word consider if there's any excellence if there's anything worthy of praise consider these things that's a little deceptive the idea is not he says when he says to think on these things whatever dignified right pure lovely commendable excellent he's not just simply saying consider these things but the idea is to act on these things it carries with it that idea of acting and of being involved so that if you're considering if you're looking at these things that you're thinking about whatever is true whatever is dignified whatever is right whatever is pure whatever is lovely act on these things let it let it do something besides just putting it in your mind act on these things um that same word is used in romans 6 11 even so consider yourself to be dead to sin alive under god that idea there of consider means to act on. If you if you uh, consider yourself, act on the fact that you're dead to sin and alive unto God. That's that's the meaning of the, the word is used there. And then lastly, in our text, there's a contrast. Um, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. And I just wanted to, to kind of mention that. Paul says... 
Brothers, you're under obligation not to the flesh. He's talking about putting to death the deeds of the flesh. He says, you're under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Well, if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. Here's that, here's that, that truth that we've been talking about, that uh, sin kills us and that we are told to put to death the sin in our lives. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the practices of the body, you will live. For as many as are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. This is this is a really is a hard thing in a way to talk about for me because I struggle with that in my life, and that's why I'm giving this to you because it's an area of, of struggle in my life, and I'm assuming that you struggle with it too. That we all have this same passion in our lives when we need to die to self. Death is very real in the Scripture, and we die to self. But John says in John 5, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who is my word and believes in who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Huh? Romans 6, 8 to 11, Now if we died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. That is, if we died with him, we believe we also live with him, knowing that Christ has been raised from the dead is never to die again. Death no longer has master over him. For the death that he died, he died once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Even so, listen, here's the application. Even so, consider yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. You do that. That's what he tells us to do. He enables us to do it. He tells us to do it. If we pursue it, he helps us with that. For the death that he died, he died once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. That's in verse 10. Um, so, these are the things that we are to pursue. Wages of sin, says Paul 6, says Romans 6, 23. Wages of sin is death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. That's why um, Galatians 6, 7, and 8 makes real sense when Galatians says, in the passage says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that that alone he will also reap. You sow the spirit, you're from the spirit, reap death. From the but uh, yeah, sow the spirit, you'll reap life, you sow the flesh, you'll reap death. Thank you. And that's 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 a real important thing to remember that if we sow to the flesh, we're going to produce death. That is, it's going to be death toward the Savior, death toward the Lord. We will be bored with him. We won't, won't have anything to do with him. But if we sow to the spirit and the things of the spirit, like the scriptures and in focusing on heaven and prayer, that produces life in our lives and helps us to become more in love with the Savior. I want to tell you something. If you really come to know the Savior, he's so wonderful and so good. And we just, we are so blessed. We're so blessed that the God of the universe loves us. And focuses on us to provide for us the best, his best for us. But we have to cooperate with him. We we should cooperate with him. And he sends sometimes sufferings to help us cooperate with him, to help us realize that the things we latch on to here are really not worthy of our attention. And I'm speaking of me now. I'm not just talking about you. The things that I hold on to, the things that I long for, are not worthy of the things that that he can give and that he offers. And so we want to do that. We want to 
to cling to him and to focus on him and to love him. One more verse. Um, this passage, this verse says, if you die, your life is hidden or concealed with Christ in God. For Christ who is our life is manifested, then you also will be manifested or revealed with him in glory. He talks about being hidden with Christ. That is a very, very sweet and precious statement. And uh, it just has to do with being um, concealed with Christ in God. Uh, in Romans chapter 6, a very complicated verse in a way, but I'm going to read it to you to help you see um, our association being hid with Christ. Paul writes that, do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ, Jesus, were baptized into his death? And you can translate the word baptism by say, by translating it immersed. Uh, do you not know that all of us who were immersed into Christ Jesus, we're immersed into his death. We are associated with him in his life. We are associated with him in his death. Therefore, we are buried with him through this immersion process into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, and that's what we're talking about here this morning. If we're united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection so that we die with him to the passions of the world here and we live with him uh, in a resurrected life, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be done away. The old man, the flesh, was crucified with him. That's what we're talking about this morning. You can't kill yourself, but you can present yourself to the Lord and surrender to him, and he can kill the old man and renew your passions. And you won't want to do that unless the Lord is speaking to your heart, because we are dead in trespasses and sins, as Ephesians says. So he says this, the old man was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Guys, we are enslaved to sin so often, so easily. Um, and yet he who has died has been justified from sin. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna stop there. But we're talking about dying, being crucified with Christ, dying to sin and to self. That is um you're probably tired of me talking about, it, but it's the thing that I've been struggling with a large part of my Christian life. And I still struggle with that. And it's really, I think it's really dishonoring to the Lord when we start living for the for the flesh and for the things of this world instead of him. Because he's so much better. And he has so much to offer. And he is the Lord God. He did go to the cross on my behalf and on your behalf. And I want to surrender my life to him. I want to give myself to him. And I want to honor him. I want I want to hear the words from the lips of the Savior. You're not going to believe this, but I'd like to hear the words from the lips of the Savior. Well done, good and faithful servant. How can those words come to any mortal man, especially me? You understand what I'm saying? It's just, it's, uh, but he's good. He's faithful and he's just and he's loving us. He is, he is um, a good shepherd. We talked about that. We did in John. Uh, chapter 10 that's really a good passage so anyway let me pray father thank you for thank you for your call to us 
You know, when you call us to die, you're not calling us to do something bad. You're not calling causing us to calling us to do something that seems bad, but later we'll find out it's good. You're calling us to the best life there is. I know that. And yet I still in my flesh keep wanting to go back to the old life and the old ways and keep struggling with lying and self-centeredness and lust and distractions that cater to the flesh rather than to things that exalt your name. I pray, Father, that you'll help me focus more and more on the glories of heaven and less and less on the distractions of women. Pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks, Yeah. Yeah.